What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. This episode is brought to you by a landlocked naval officer who needed a new hobby outside of drinking snobby IPAs. Thank you, Mark. All right. So another episode of The Hive Jive. And uh, we have we're going to start off today with a bunch of shout outs and thank yous and uh, all that fun stuff. Um, apparently, April, the tail end of April and the, the very first day or two of May here has been... Uh, let's join Patreon. <laughs> well, good. So, yeah, so we've got some thank yous we need to get out there. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to Chad L. Thank you to Theodore K9, Mr. Mark. Thank you to Suana or Suina or Suina. <laughs> Even when I did the intro video, I wasn't sure that I said the name correctly. Um, but I'm going to go with Sun Sunia. Sunia? I don't know. Sunia. <laughs> S-U-N-I-A. What do you think, Ken? Sunya sounds good. Sunya. Sunya. <laughs> thank you to Kristen L. And thank you to Kelly M. Thank you, thank you, thank you all so very much for joining us on Patreon. Appreciate it. And, you know, you, you all have heard us multiple times, you know, talk about it and everything. But if anybody is interested and wants to get that additional content, it is at patreon.com forward slash hivejive. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash hive jive. There's different tiers out there. It's set up as a monthly subscription program. And the lowest tier is just a donation, thank you, kind of dollar a month type thing. And then the next tier up, which gets you your bonus episodes, is the Hive Jive Junkie tier. And that one is $5 a month. Above that, gets you your deeper dive episodes, behind the scene content, and video little releases. That one is the Wicked Little Bee level, and it is $10 a month. And then above that one is the Bee Academy level, which is $20 a month, and that has all the training education videos and whatnot in that. And then it it rolls backwards down from there. Um, So the higher level you subscribe to, you get everything below it as well. So if you're at that Bee Academy level, you get the training and education videos, you get the bonus episodes, you get the deeper dive, like you get all of it. And then there is the one level that is high above all of that, the Royal Court level. And that is where Mr. Mark has signed up. And we had a great little conversation with Mark, and we greatly, greatly appreciate him coming in and uh, deciding to support us at the sponsorship level and give us a little bit of love. And so thank you so much for that, Mark. And you will be featured at the beginning of each of these uh, main segment episodes here for a while just to show our thank you and appreciation. Now, is that B featured or B-E-E featured? You will be featured. Put as many E's in there as you want. And then our last little shout out here. This one is kind of a funny little ha-ha. Um, on my website, probably since it was originally posted on there, whenever we did the honey infusions, the the kick and honey line of infused honey products, uh, one of them was basil honey. And I got a message from Martin. So this is a special shout out to Martin. Martin is the beekeeping violin maker from Ireland who kindly decided to point out to me that I had a typo on my website about my basil infused honey. And the message that he sent to me read, 
I realize that it's way hotter in Texas than in Ireland, but I'm not so sure that sweaty and savory is a good thing. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then I went and I looked at the website, and instead of writing sweet and savory, there was a typo in there. So it actually said sweat and savory, honey. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, no, that doesn't sound appealing at all. <laughs> a little tougher in Texas and them, them, uh, them Irish guys. That's what it amounts to. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hot down here, you just can't help it. Um, but thank you so much, Martin, for pointing that out. I, I greatly appreciate that, and it, it was immediately corrected. So thank you, thank you, thank you on that for sure. Yep. Sweaty and savory, that's only on a potato chip. <laughs> what kind of potato chips are these? These are sweaty and savory potato chips. <laughs> that that's a lot like of hard work into that chip, man. <laughs> Sweat and tears. Oh, man. So today, in, instead of having a training segment where we go through and we talk about a specific, you know, topic of beekeeping on how to and how not to and all that stuff, I kind of thought uh, we would go through because, frankly, April sucked. And so this is this is going to be an episode of... Hey, it can happen to all of us and, you know, doesn't matter how long you've been keeping bees, nature throws you curveballs, the bees throw you curveballs and strange things can occur. So this episode is, uh, it can happen to the best of us. <laughs> mean like, like Max yesterday? Yeah, like, like Max yesterday. Um, he, after you and I got off the phone, he actually had, had already went back out there and he spent a good little chunk of time still looking and still not finding <laughs> He dropped her, and we'll tell him later what what we're teasing y'all right now. Yeah, that one, that part of that conversation, that may be on our on our bonus episode yeah, for uh, bonus this coming episode. week. Yeah. So from you know, you guys have heard me talk about the beehives on top of the hotel, and you've seen the pictures and stuff on social media. And you know, we had two boxes up there. We had the the raw wood cypress hives that you gave me. And then we had the other colony that I had painted, and it kind of had the grassy meadow and flower mm -hmm. painting on it with the bees flying up above it. And those are the two hives that are up on top of the hotel. The cypress hive was uh, getting downright evil. They they definitely had tricked me whenever I potentially requeened them, uh, or maybe didn't, considering how their attitude was. But they were getting pretty mean, pretty aggressive. The green colony with the painted hive and the flowers and the bees, that colony was just spectacular and it was exploding all the way through February and March. It ended up adding four boxes and drawing out comb in four boxes way early in the year and was just, yeah, it was just this powerhouse of a colony and it was, it was amazing. They had an amazing temperament. They were awesome bees. Well, right about the middle of April, um, when we had finally kind of figured out how to navigate this whole quarantine thing and the what is an essential business and what isn't, and also coordinating with the hotel, who was drastically reduced um, in their staff, I finally got it worked out to where I could go back out there and check those colonies. And in a matter of two weeks, from the end of March to the middle of April, one of the colonies was determined they were going to swarm, and it was the mean colony. So I went through... And I was going to requeen that one anyway. So I brought me a queen out there, and that was the plan. I was going to go through and requeen it. 
So I installed the queen in that colony. It took me forever to find the other queen and get her out of there. But I did. I took her and I put her in a cage. I didn't actually kill her immediately. I just put her in a cage. And then went to the second colony, the, the painted hive that was supposed to be just doing phenomenal. I opened it up and it was travesty all the way through the whole thing. They had swarmed in that the that two-week time period. They had swarmed. There were swarm cells in the colony. There was maybe 15% of the bees that had originally been there. And every single bee I looked at had at least one to two mites on its back. Good gosh. Every single bee. Instead of look at the colony and try to find a bee with a mite, it was can you find a bee without a mite? Yeah. It was that bad. It was horrible. So they went from just exploding in size to swarming. They had zero food inside the colony whatsoever. 15% of the colony remaining, all of them covered in mites. And so I started going through and there were queen cells and they were all capped. None of them had hatched yet. So I started going through and, and did like I talked to everybody about on the show, removing all of the cells except for the two largest ones. But as I was removing them, I also open up the cells and check the different developmental stages to see where they're at. Mm-hmm. Every single queen had deformed wing virus. Every wow. queen that I pulled out of there. So some of them, the, the wings literally didn't even exist. Other ones, the wings were all gnarled and balled up. And... That right there is another sign of, okay, this is potentially going to be really bad because now, even if a queen survives and and emerges out of there, she can never go mate because she can't fly. And they only mate in flight in a drone congregation area. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and leave two of these in there just in case, because at least if one emerges and they've got the pheromone, that will carry them over until I can get another queen out here and put in there because I had already used the the only one that I had brought. And I went back to the other colony and I was trying to go through and find a frame that had eggs and larvae at the right stage. And I found one and I went ahead and I put it over into that colony. But that colony also had so many mites that it it had to been treated because if it didn't get treated, it was going to turn into a mite bomb And then the other colony would end up getting all, you know, inheriting all these mites when that one died out. So I went ahead and I treated it with formic acid, which this was the last. I had a three-day window where the temperatures were going to be below 85 degrees. And then it was going to get up into the 90s and it was going to stay there. And so all of this was, well, they may not make it. They literally just may not make it. So I go back, do the treatment, call it good, close everything up leave with a heavy heart, you know, and I go back out there seven days later to check on the progress and see what's going on. And when I get there, what I find is that the mean colony killed the queen and proceeded to make their own queen cells, which were getting ready to emerge. (laughs) Little evil turds. Um, They had just capped them all off. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing that I talked to you about and and that I've said sometimes on the show is, you know, when you've got a colony and they're a little bit meaner, um, it's really easy if you've got the wooden cages, just leave the corks in the cage so that they can't get to the candy. But these were the plastic cages that don't have a cork. And so I took a piece of blue masking tape, like blue painter's tape, 
and put it over the candy end and just put a tiny little hole in it so that they would have to chew through the tape first and then get to the candy to kind of prolong it. Didn't matter. They were already determined that they were going to do it. And so they went ahead and got her out of there, killed her, just like happened to you whenever you guys tried to requeen that little water meter hive that you did the removal on. And so I don't have a queen in this colony. I have queen cells in the colony that are just being capped. No eggs, no larva. It's been too long at this point. And I'm like, okay, well, great. So then I go check on the other colony and I open it up and they did not do anything with any of the eggs that I gave them in that other frame. They didn't try to make any more emergency queen cells. And I could find no signs that if a queen did emerge, that she survived. She was not in the colony. And I was like, great, this is just peachy. So looking up and down, I went from you couldn't look at a bee without seeing a mite to I still managed to find five bees on different frames that had one mite on them. So even doing the treatment and the treatment being hot enough that it could have potentially killed the entire colony after that third day still didn't get rid of all those mites. Like, that's how bad it was. Wow. So last ditch effort, I go back into the other colony that has these new queen cells. And I very gently cut a couple of those queen cells out, take them over and put them onto the frames inside the other colony and shook a couple of frames of bees from the other colony in there as well, just to bolster them up and hopefully give them enough of the bees that, you know, are going to be loyal to that queen cell anyway, plus more population because they were dwindling. And I still don't know if they're going to survive, but... In addition to all of this, this is still, at this point, this is like the tail end of April. I was up there and it was 80, I want to say between 82 and 85 degrees that day. The roof was so hot that like when I took off the lid, there were some bees on the underside of the lid and they fell off onto the roof. Normally, if that happens and you're doing beekeeping, they fall onto the ground or onto the surface and they will either fly and fly back up or they'll crawl over to the colony and crawl up the side of it. Well, I did notice that a handful of bees fell off the lid when I took it off. And whenever I went to put the lid back on, all of those bees were dead. Wow. They had literally baked and burned because the roof was so hot. And the surface of the roof is white. So it, that right there doesn't bode well for what could potentially happen come July and August here in Central Texas where it gets hot as hell. 102 or 3 or 5, yeah. Wow. Yeah, without that's without the humidity, yeah. So if they survive all of this, which I don't know that they're going to, at least the one for certain, I don't know if it's going to, if the painted hive is going to survive, but if it does survive this, I have no idea if they're actually going to be able to survive the summer dearth whenever it is really hot and, and all this other stuff's going on. So... That'll be interesting to see. Um, that sucked. And then <laughs> it doesn't stop there. Um, so all of this stuff partially is caused from the fact that we had really crazy weather in the beginning of April. And we were coming in where we were having days that were in the upper 70s and upper 80s. And then all of a sudden it gets up into the mid 90s. Then a cold front hits that night. We have severe storms come through. And the next day the high is 40. And then it rains for a couple of days and then the temperature jumps back up to 70 and then it jumps back up to 80 and then it's 90 and then we have a cold front 
and the next day the high is 50. And it stays like that for a day or two. It did that multiple times in the beginning of April, and it literally stopped our nectar flow entirely. We had nothing. Yeah. And so these colonies, even out at the farm, that were doing spectacular and bringing in their own food, we normally quit feeding the beehives in the middle of April. Well, we ended up having to resume feeding our hives towards the end of April and into this very first part of May because... It came to such a sudden halt that they ate through all of their food because this is the time of year that the colonies are growing very quickly and they're expanding and they're they're building up that workforce for the main flow. And then all of a sudden, you know, their source of food gets shut off. Mm-hmm. So they eat through their, their household very quickly. They eat themselves out of house and home. So we went out and we were checking colonies. We made it all the way through the winter, didn't have a single colony loss, didn't have any issues out at the main apiary. We lost two nukes and one full-size hive due to starvation in less than a week where they had eaten themselves out of house and home, had no other food, and then likely one of these cold snaps hit, and that was it. They were done. So it was almost the same concept of what happens to us kind of in February, but it happened in April. (laughs) So April sucked. There was a lot of... uh, Random things that normally we never have to deal with, especially at this time of year. And I'm kind of leery on what may end up happening in May because we've got we've got hives now that we're having to feed. But we want to stop feeding them at enough time that they can burn through that because we don't want to feed them enough that they store it. We just want to feed them enough to keep them going. But they'll burn through anything they have in there that's a sugar syrup so that as they bring in the real nectar and build up on what we hope will be our main flow starting here and then moving into the rest of May and and all of June, um, you know, hopefully that goes well. But again, we don't know. So these types of of challenges and, and everything, they happened to all of us. We had colonies last year that we had such an amazing year last year and such a huge nectar flow that was really heavy and really fast we had colonies that actually swarmed themselves to death, which is also crazy. But they were uh, like there were some management clients of mine where the colony was a top bar. They completely filled the entire hive in that one spring full of comb, filled all of the comb with either capped or open liquid, swarmed. Then the new queen was in there and they still had nowhere to go and nothing to do. So they swarmed again, but that didn't leave any eggs or larvae for the remaining bees to create a new queen. So they ended up dying because then there was no queen. There was no influx of new eggs, new life. And, you know, they they literally swarmed themselves to death. So all of these little horror stories are just basically to say it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. If it's your first year, if it's your 30th year, we all have ups and downs in our season. And we all have challenges that we've got to face. And, you know, we just, you try to ride those waves the best you can and try to mitigate your losses. And if you can supplement a hive by going through and switching some things out, then do it. And, you know, best case scenario, maybe you save both of your hives. The worst case is obviously you lose them and you don't want to do that. But say you manage to save them so you don't get a honey harvest, but your colonies are still alive, you know, and that's, ultimately what we really want to focus on and and try to accomplish is the honey harvest is a bonus if it happens and you get a good one 
obviously that's one of the big perks of why everybody wants to get started in beekeeping and do it. But some years that just maybe doesn't occur. And we kind of got to be okay with that. Um, I did say something that reminded me of something you did, though, or something that I had you guys do, Ken. You remember the the switching the reverses of the the, <laughs> the reversing the places of the hives? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, that was the trailer hive and the uh, uh, nuke. That was that was uh, that was a nuke that no, it was cut out. It was a we put it in a nuke and then we we named it. We were calling it the nuke and then we changed it to a cutout because we got a bunch of nukes now. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's not a nuke anymore. <laughs> it's got eight frames. It's not eight a nuke frame. It's cut out. And yeah, that you told us. You know, we called you. We opened them up and the the cutout had got water in it and it had grilled mold in the back and we had four good comb in it and the 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 the, uh, the upper box was good and uh he says okay uh we pulled everything out of it we we t- put new comb back in it uh then the bees uh they were they were there they wasn't strong and you said oh well let's build them switch it and I'll let you tell them how you what you tell me to do. <laughs> so, in a scenario where you have two hives and or more, but if you've got two hives that one of them is doing fairly well or really well and has a strong population and a lot of foragers and has got a great brood pattern and a lot more babies on the way, but the other one maybe doesn't have a good brood pattern or doesn't have a lot of foragers and therefore can't really keep up because if you think about it, You've got to have enough bees to have, you know, if you if you do a hypothetical, say it takes two to 5,000 bees to do everything needed inside the colony, well, then your threshold needs to be above that to truly have a forager force to go and bring food in. That food needs to keep coming in so that they can, one, feed all the newborn babies to continue growing the colony size and to be able to draw out the wax and, and it keep expanding the colony. So... In a situation where a colony is struggling and it can't really get up to speed, it just really can't get its population numbers up there, be it for whatever reason, what you can do is you can literally pick up those two hives and reverse their positions. So hive number one moves to hive number two's location and hive number two moves to hive number one. And you set them exactly in the same setup and orientation that the other hive was in. And what happens is now that you've moved it, that other colony that was really strong and had the ton of foragers and still has a ton of bees inside the colony, it's going to be fine. It's still going to go through and it's going to have a whole new generation that's going to hatch out and populate that colony and the forager force will continue. But the colony that was weak is now going to gain all of the foragers that are returning with food from that original colony. And when they come back with food, they're focused on, all right, I got to drop this off and then I've got to turn around and go get more. And so the other colony happily accepts the foragers because they're bringing in resources so they don't fight. And then the foragers are focused enough on what they're doing that they also don't come in there and attempt to murder the queen because they're coming back, dropping off the food and leaving. And every time they do that, they pick up a little bit more of the pheromone and the smell of that new colony. So it ends up working out to where you can bolster the colonies that way by increasing the foragers from one and giving them kind of to the other one as you go through and flip-flop those. So it helps bolster the colonies. It adds more workforce. It brings more food in, allows the colony to then raise more bees so that it can get up to speed and kind of get going. 
Now, the other thing that we ultimately did is I believe we did requeen that colony after the fact as well because her brood pattern was kind of sketchy to begin with. So that was one of those uh, New World Carniolans that we brought out there. Right. We, 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 we requeened both of those colonies, the the trailer hive and the, the cutout, cutout because yep. the trailer hive was from... We figured it was the same bunch of bees. It was the rock hive, and the rock hive was doing wonderful. They were just meaner than hell, and so we decided, well, we're going to do the, we're going to requeen the trailer hive. So we re, we requeened those two. And by the way, uh, those corniolans, those New World corniolans, do wonderful brood patterns. I mean, we when we opened them up earlier. They are solid frames of brood. They are good. That's good. Good queens. Yeah. That's very good. So, and those, uh, the, the trailer hive was very, they had a lot of bees in them. Wasn't near as many as the, the cutout because there was so many foragers moved into the cutout. It's crazy how it happened. I mean, just like you said, it took a weak hive and made a very strong hive out of it. And then the trailer hive, well, they were weaker now, but not weak. But they just didn't have as many bees as the, as the other one because they all moved over there and everybody's good now. And now that we're, we requeened them uh, in a few days or what, uh, brood hatches 21 days. Yeah. Both those hives are going to go crazy. Max was saying, Dad, these two are fixing to explode. I'm going to have to be, we're going to have to be watching and watching for queen cells. I says, son, don't get, you think I get ahead of myself. You ought to be around my son. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got, he's got a point though, because if the colony expands too quickly and you're not giving them the space and, and keep in mind again, Space does not mean I just gave them a box of empty comb. To them, space is drawn comb that they can immediately utilize. So you've got to stay far enough ahead of the curve that they're constantly drawing out that new comb before they need it. That way they don't ever hit that wall of, okay, we're out of open cells, we should go ahead and swarm. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that it can be a challenge and it does happen, but you do kind of need to stay ahead of it and make sure that everything's going good. But what we should be coming into is the time of year where we get all of our extra boxes on top of the hives, drawn comb or not, that main flow is is up and going, which at the moment it's not, unfortunately. Not yet. But it's up and going, and they're just bringing in stuff so fast that it's all about draw out the comb, fill it with, with nectar, reduce it to honey. Draw out the comb, fill it with nectar, reduce it to honey, you know, and that's where you get your honey harvest from in May and June, and then we do that harvest in July or August, depending on how quickly they get it all sealed up and uh, how long the flow kind of peters out in there in July. So, you know, that's what we should be working towards and, and hopefully have accomplished. But again, I don't know what's going to happen this year. Um, your area, they're talking about it could be drier. My area, they're talking about we could have a wetter May than normal. And, you know, if it's wetter than last year or the year before, that may not be as bad, but if you go back three years ago, it was so wet that we didn't have a nectar harvest at all because it constantly rained, and it would rain for weeks on end 
So there may have been flowers out there and you'd have one or two days of sunshine, but not enough time to actually let the flowers generate nectar or for the bees to be able to go out and really gather it and bring it back in. So again, Mother Nature, man, she can throw you for a loop. She can definitely have some curveballs in there. I know right now up in our country, the white brush or bee brush is, is blooming. So our bees are going to have plenty to pick from to, to forage on. So because the bee brush is coming on, we had three quarters of an inch rain that y'all didn't have here in Austin. And so, and that took that, you know, the bee brush took off with that. Now, just like you were talking, the, we had rain, what was it, two weeks ago, and I told you it looks like it's fixing to happen. The bee brush is blooming, and then it got cold. It was the end of that bee brush. Yeah. It, it got cold, and everything either stopped or died. Um, but just also for everybody, too, though, keep in mind, because we do get a lot of questions and stuff that come in, and people will say, my bees are surrounded by flowers. Why would I need to feed them? Well, if it is lots of random cold snaps, those flowers may not be producing nectar. Or if it's raining every other day, they may not be having enough time to get the nectar produced before the rain washes it back out. So you can literally have a beehive sitting in a meadow full of beautiful wildflowers, and that hive can still starve depending on the climate and the circumstances that are surrounding that specific environment. You know, rain once or twice a week spread out by three or four days each would be beneficial and not detrimental. Any more than that is detrimental. You either go with a solid week of rain, which means the bees can't get out to go forage, so they have to start eating their food stores. And again, they're in this mode where they're in a fast expansion and there's lots of babies to raise and a huge population. Well, if that population gets locked inside the colony for multiple days on end, one, they start burning through all their food stores. Two, they start feeling way crowded and cramped because all the foragers are never leaving to go work. So the population in the daytime is really, really bad. They will turn around and they will start making swarm cells and start preparing to swarm regardless if they truly need to or not, because they feel cramped because everybody's stuck inside. And then all of a sudden, if you've had a week of rain, those first two sunny days afterwards, swarm calls will go through the roof because all these colonies are like, oh, thank God the sun's out. Come on, we got to get out of here. It's, it's too crowded in here. And they will swarm and go off and, and try to make new colonies. So that's one of the things to watch for. But again, the other thing is if it is doing every other day, the sun comes out today, it's beautiful, tomorrow it rains. The next day the sun comes out and it's beautiful, the next day it rains. That one day of beauty, the bees are going to go out and look. They may be able to find pollen, but they're not going to find any nectar unless the flower is turned in such a way that the rain can't hit it. And then they'll have just a tiny little bit that they can get and bring back in. So it's, it's all about knowing what's going on in the environment, knowing how to read it. Just like knowing how to read your comb, you've got to learn how to read the flowers and how to read the weather and what the weather does to the flowers, how it affects them. So beekeeping is so multi-layered. Like there's so many different things that, that interplay with each other to make it all successful. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's what's, it's the fun <laughs> because you can't outguess them. No, 
<laughs> no, you cannot. Okay, well, what are they going to do with this deal? What are they going to do in this scenario? And that's what Max is loving. My son, who hated bugs that stung, dearly loves messing with bees. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing so many experiments and, 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 and playing with them and doing different things with them. And we'll talk about that on on another part, but uh, yeah, we can put we can put that into the bonus episode. And it's just so much fun that we're doing, and and then we we're working. Oh, I got another trap out. We're going to be doing here before long. That'll be three. I think two. I think the the, the th second one is going to turn into all hell's going to break loose for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, that tree. Um, has a lot of issues going on that's going to make it hard to successfully do a, a trap out or even a forced abscond. So yeah, I think ultimately that one's going to be a, a surgery operation. You're going to have to open her up and, and physically remove them. Yeah. We're going to open it up with a D five caterpillar. <laughs> well, that'll knock it over. <laughs> pushing it to the ground. I got a feeling when it hits with that crack, it's in it, it's going to open up. And me and Max, I told Max, I says, we'll sit there and truck when he pushes it, when it hits the ground, we're going to be there and we're going to be either with a chainsaw or ax and opening up those limbs and see if we can find a queen, put her in the box, grab some brood, well, put he it in the box, tie it in and... Hopefully walk off and see if they all go in there. <laughs> well, uh, you, you just be sure to do the Caterpillar driver the favor of giving him one of your bee suits first. Oh, no, 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 no. He's got an air-conditioned cab. He's going to be sitting there watching us. He's got to get out of it eventually. Well, he'll be, <laughs> no, he'll be away from it when he, away from the trees when he gets away from it, out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I mean, hitting a tree with something and then going in, going also in something that can't go very fast, mm -hmm. not going to guarantee you that the bees aren't just going to hang on and follow. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's going to happen Tuesday, so we'll be talking about that next week, by the way. <laughs> All right. We're doing that one the Tuesday The misadventures morning. of, of uh, trap outs on a tree. And i got a new trap out we're doing probably this next week. But the first trap out, it's doing wonderful, by the way. I sent you pictures of it. Yeah, yeah. There was actually bees congregating on your box out there. And that was the second morning. I mean, that was the next day after we did, we set the trap out. They were already congregating and, and yeah, and they were trying to figure out how to chew through the, we need to talk about all this on the other one. But anyway, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's working and that's all I can say. It's working and. If they can figure out how to chew through steel wool, they'll get out of the the funnel. But if they don't, uh, they're going to have to go out that little bitty hole. <laughs> yeah, they luckily they don't chew fast enough, even through solid wood. They don't chew fast enough to really, uh, it, it takes them quite a long time to do that. So during the course of a trap out, they shouldn't be able to. And the wool, the, wool, the steel wool and the, the aluminum window screen, they shouldn't be able to do that either. The only thing with that would be if they physically push it out of the way or are able to, you know, kind of manipulate it in that regard. But otherwise, nope, should be fine. Yep. No, I think it's going to be good. I think uh, uh, I think this is going to work, and we'll get that bunch, save that bunch, because they're already talking about, well, as soon as you get that off, we got to push it down. We're going we're gonna to burn it. I'm sitting there. Now I'll fix it where y'all don't have to burn it. I'm sitting there. 
Okay, we're going to get more bees out of that tree. We need to leave that tree there. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, dear. So, we'll, and he done, he got hold of him. He's got number three uh, trap out. So, yeah. And this is in a very small area. And that's what's, but number two, that is a tremendous hive. That is a tremendous colony. I guarantee there's 50,000, 60,000 bees in that thing. It's, wow, it's big. And that's a huge tree. So uh, that one's going to be an experience. I think you ought to be there to video it because I got a feeling it's going to look like a, look like, what was the movie, Swarm? That's what it's going to look like. <laughs> <laughs> John, John says, I've been there. Now it's time for you to try it. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't need to. I I, I have already uh, put in my licks with all that kind of stuff back in the day. And, and you know, I know now what uh, what is worth my time and what isn't. And trap outs are not. <laughs> so we're, we're saving bees from getting burnt up. Sure. And that's what we're looking at. If it if it's successful, if you successfully get them out of there, get the queen and get the colony to keep going, sure. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you're just getting a few, you know, you're getting cannon fodder to bolster another colony. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're right. But, yeah, well, what we're going to do is, uh, <laughs> you, that's for another part of the show, folks, <laughs> what we're going to do. <laughs> Hey, I'm a radio guy, so I know how to tease y'all. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how many times in one episode can Ken say, eh, we'll talk about that one on the next show? <laughs> I'm a radio guy. I know how to tease y'all. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, um, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll wrap this one up then. And uh, again, thank you to all of our new patrons out there. And thank you to Mark. For your sponsorship, sir, we greatly appreciate that. And thank you to all of our listeners. Regardless if you are a patron or not, you are wonderful and fantastic, and we hope that everybody is staying safe and healthy and ultimately staying sane during all this craziness that's going on. And maybe one of these days here in the next month, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Ken and I will both be back in the studio and... That way you guys don't have to deal with uh, all the crazy, weird sounds and stuff from trying to merge all these different things together <laughs> to kind of come up with one show. So no more telecommuting. But uh, yeah, so again, hope everybody is doing well out there. And uh, go ahead, Ken. I know you always have something to say at the end. Uh, yeah, let's don't do You know, this, this COVID is even affecting the bees. You know that, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're, we're bored, so we won't leave them alone? That's exactly it. <laughs> I walk out there, I drive out, and uh, there's bees out there attacking my truck. What the hell are you doing back? You don't supposed to be back here for another week. What the hell are you doing? You was here yesterday. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what. Uh, they all are around too much now. We're not even eating the stuff that you're feeding us. We're letting it sour. Quit coming around. Damn it, it stinks. So I quit. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, y'all be good. Y'all be safe, family. Be healthy. 
The show might be over for now, but the sting won't last long. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast as we'll be swarming in with new episodes Mondays of each month. Until then, behave yourselves.